Young Men. Whether or not you've embraced fatherhood yet, it's clear you're here because you seek more. You have this burning desire to provide, sacrifice, and leave a lasting legacy. Join us as we encourage and empower young men to take up the mantle of fatherhood and become more than what the world expects from them. Welcome to the Forming Fathers podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm excited to have John Altuzin with me today. By trade, he's an electrical engineer and stay-at-home dad, but more on that later. And by calling, he's a happily married husband for almost 10 years. I think May 4th is coming up on 10 years. And father to three children, ages seven, four, and one. John, thanks for being with me today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Zach. So when we were catching up prior to this podcast, you told me that you're number six out of nine children uh, from your parents. So let's start with the fact that I don't think people even know you can get to that high of a number today. Like people stop at maybe two, three is crazy. So what was that like growing up for you and how has it impacted you? Great question. Uh, a lot of people ask me, are you guys Catholic? That was like the first question people would ask me, like how many kids do you have? Or how many siblings do you have, brothers and sisters? Yeah, it was it was very abnormal. Um, growing up, you know, in my neighborhood, most families had two kids, three kids. Uh, I grew up going to a super small church. That's actually what brought my family from California to Ohio. And uh, we planted or kind of part of a church plant in, in uh, Twinsburg, Ohio, just on this big 100-acre farm. And the church was like 40 people. And we would roll in and be like twenty five percent of the the, the the body of the church, so it was like super small. And we were, we made it the most. So if we were gone, it was like the church was closed pretty much. Uh, but yeah, it was it was one of those things where like, you know, my dad is an amazing guy. He was a high school physics teacher, a pastor, and also adjunct pr- professor part time at a community college. He taught high school physics and college physics, and. You know, we obviously were tight. I don't think I I understand this till I was a little bit older that like money was tight and stuff. But like I never felt that way. Like I feel like every day was a party. And obviously being like number six, I was kind of in the middle of like having older siblings and having younger siblings. So like I remember friends always asking like, you know, growing up, I think like as as an adult and having kids now, people are like, so like how many birthday parties do you have? Like what was the rhythm of birthday parties in your house growing up? I'm like, we didn't have like birthday parties. Like just my family was like a party. It was like you had 10 bodies, 11 bodies, you know, in a room for every birthday celebration, you know, and if you had a couple of friends or, you know, in-laws or whatever and from out of town, you know, you had 15 to 20 people there with like no sweater planning whatsoever. So, um, yeah, I'd say growing up, you know, obviously there was sacrifice, but it was awesome. Like we always had uh, people to play with. Uh, I had a younger brother. I had two older brothers. I grew up with five sisters. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, there's, I have, there's just so many unique things. But the funny thing is, one of my one of my good friends from college, I went to Grove City College, uh, which is uh, a private Christian college and notoriously known for having a good population of homeschool people. And uh, I, one of my good friends I met because like it was like one thing I always kind of bragged. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm one of nine kids. Like it's kind of like your two truths and a lie thing. Like, no, you're not. And one of my good friends was like, oh, I'm actually one of twelve. I was like, what? What? I've been outdone? No way. This is impossible. Uh, so, uh, that was one of the few rare times where someone was like, oh, you have nine, no, you're one of nine, no big deal. I'm one of 12. Like, what are you going to do about it? Uh, so funny story there. 
So cool, John. I uh, I also mentioned professionally that you're a stay-at-home dad, but you're also an electrical engineer, and you've, you've actually kind of bounced around doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. There's there's more to this story. Can you tell me about the journey that you had and how you got here? Yeah, yeah. It's it was a journey where I had to wrestle with pride, honestly. So, uh, growing up, parents always valued education. You know, did well in high school, went off to college. Uh, my two older brothers are mechanical engineers. Uh, my dad being obviously a high school physics teacher, you know, math and science were very important for us. And he always joked, he's like, you're not going to go to school and get a degree in underwater basket weaving. He's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have my kids do that. So he was like, you got to get a, a degree where you're going to get a job or at least have the opportunity to get a job. And so um, I knew I was going to some type of math or science <laughs> study and I didn't want to follow my brother's footsteps and I always had kind of an affinity for the electrical stuff. So I, I pursued electrical engineering, worked really hard. I'm not someone who is naturally like a genius or gets it right away. So I had a, you know, it was sweat equity to get that degree for sure. I was first one in the library when it opened on Saturday morning, you know, they're closing down, you know, the student area at 1am uh, most weeknights, just putting the hours and the time in to get there. Um, and so after that journey, it's kind of an interesting career journey for me. I don't know. Do you want me to tell my whole career journey here, Zach? Or do you want me to kind of just tell more about yeah. the, the tr- transition yeah, let's, to let's, let's dive in because I, I think it's um, interesting for guys listening to see where you were and then what happened along the way. That's pretty, that you were telling me. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, I graduated Grove City College, degree in electrical engineering. And I guess I need to back up a little bit. And this is kind of where like as a guy in your young twenties, like you have followed this trajectory of, I go to junior year of high school. I go to senior year of high school. Okay. Most people go off to college. I go to college. I get the degree. And then like, after that, it's like, now what? <laughs> Unless you go off to grad school or maybe you're in a trade, like an apprentice or something like that. It's kind of like, you're just like, you're kind of aimless. It's like, where do I go? What do I do? And so I, um, I actually had a job lined up my senior year of college to work for the Navy uh, to be a civilian contract, a civilian engineer uh, for uh, a place called Navair, which is at Patuxent Air Station in, I think, I believe it's a Maryland or Connecticut. I can't remember exactly uh, to do comm systems for Navy SEALs and special forces. It was a really cool opportunity, uh, but they, they went through some kind of hiring thing and they had to rescind my job offer. And so I, they had rescind my job offer and this is one of my Christmas break now, my senior year of college. And like, I was like coasting. I like, I got the job, like ready to rock and roll. And I remember, so the company I, I joined after college is called Lincoln Electric. And two weeks prior, they had reached out and said, Hey, we'd love to have you come and interview on site. You know, we think you'd be a great candidate, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, thanks. I already accepted the job. Thanks, but no, thanks. Well, then I called them back. I was like, Hey, I had a total crazy situation happen. I am home on Christmas break and their headquarters were like 45 minutes from where I was living. I was like, Hey, I'm home. Like, what can we do to make happen? Like, ah, that was like on a Wednesday and they were having interviews on Friday. Like, "Ah, I don't know. Let me see if we can do something. They call me the next day. Like, Hey, we got you in. So I came up there. I interviewed for engineering and for a sales position. I just kind of like threw out there like this, like technical sales. Like I'm like, I'm an engineer. I'm going to be designing circuit boards. I'm going to be designing embedded systems. Like my dream job was to be a design engineer for Lockheed Martin. Like that was like, you know, Top Gun. The first one was like an inspiration to me. Like I wanted to be, you know, invested in building aircraft. Um, So anyways, I went and interviewed with them. And the following Monday, I had two job offers from them. 
So on a Monday on that break, I lost my, my job with the Navy. I called them on a Wednesday, interviewed on a Friday, had two offers that fall on Monday. It's just like, like total, like doors closing and doors opening. Just like, like, just like you, like one moment you're devastated. Like what just happened? I thought I was moving to the East coast and now I'm like going to be in the Midwest doing, being in the welding business. Like what, you know? So anyways, I had two offers and I have two older brothers from mechanical engineers, like I mentioned. Uh, one is like super smart guy. He, he's um, worked for NASA. He's been in aerospace for his whole career. Uh, just really smart guy. Very much like a typical uh, engineer type of personality. And then mm-hmm. I have another brother who's also a mechanical engineer, but has kind of taken more like the sales kind of business development route. And so I kind of have both of them talking to my ear like – the engineer brother said, like, you get the engineer, get the technical background. And my other brother would be like, dude, sales is where it's at. It's fun. The tip of the spear, the company, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this sales gig a try. And so I jumped into sales. So I did technical sales for seven years uh, in the welding industry. Essentially became a welding engineer. Um, so what Lincoln Electric does is they, they, they hire only engineers for their sales program to be value-added, be, you know, do solution selling. I learned to weld. I went through the welding school uh, so I could stick weld, MIG weld, TIG weld, program robots, that type of stuff. Um, so I was able to, to learn that. Um, anyways, did that. And I was a gunner. Like I was like, I want to be VP of sales. Like I want to just climb the corporate ladder. I was number one on my sales training program. Uh, went out to a Pittsburgh ter- sales territory, was dominating it. Like I was putting my heart and soul. Like I was living in an apartment as a single guy. And I had like stacks of welding wire, like my, my bed and like my desk. I'd like work till like 10 o'clock at night, get up in the morning, like get back to work. I was like, ah, I feel like I, I got to be working all the time. Like I got to be working because like I got to achieve, 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 do more. Um, so anyways, long story short, during that time, met my wife who was in med school at that time. And we got um, engaged and uh, married the day after, two days after she graduated med school and she did her residency in Grand Rapids. So I actually was able to transfer my company to West Michigan. And so uh, I was there doing my sales gig there as well for Lincoln for a couple of years. And we had our first child while she was in residency. It was like, man, this is just, this is really hard. Like she was, I don't know if you know anyone in, in medicine, but like the residency for physicians is pretty, pretty brutal. Like it's long hours. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you only get like three or four days off a month. You're working 12, 14 hour shifts. There'd be wow. times you'd be like, she was working night shifts or ER shifts. You'd be like, okay, see you later. I'll see you in two weeks. You know, when you get off of night shifts. Um, so it was, it was rough, you know, and especially having our first child, we're like, man, like we can't do this if, and we want, we knew we want to have more than one kid. And so, um, when, uh, we were pregnant with our second, with, uh, my son, Joseph, we had pretty much like eight months to like figure out like, what do we want to do? And at this point, my wife was, my wife was out of residency now and practicing part-time in her practice. And so we're like, okay, what are we going to do? I just like went back and forth. Like, well, look at the financials, look at the numbers. Like, what are we going to do? You know, I came from a more traditional family. Like most of my brothers and my siblings, like the husband worked, the wife stayed home with the kids, like pretty traditional kind of roles within the family. And even where we lived in West Michigan, kind of more of a traditional kind of area culture, and so we're like, man, it just makes sense that like I, I got to stay home. Like financially, like we were in still lots of med school debt with my wife 
Uh, we had to like make ends meet. I was like, you know what? Like, this is what we got to do. But like, I really wrestled Zach with pride for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just like, I can't do this. Like, this is going to be weird. What are my parents going to think of me? What are my brothers going to think of me? What are uh, friends and family going to think? Like, am I yeah. going to wait? Like, my boss was like, hey, you're my succession plan. Like, I want you to take my job. I was like working towards my MBA. Like, I had like this ladder and trajectory. And I was just like, you know what? When I'm on yeah. my deathbed, is my boss going to be there, like holding my hand? Or is it going to be my kids? You know, where where your priorities in life? And, and, and not saying that, like, even like thinking through that, it's like, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's a no brainer. Like, you should just quit. Like, still, like, you sacrifice a lot for your education to, like, grow in your career. Like, there still is value and dignity and goodness in that. So like to to say like I'm I'm quitting like it was it was quite a it was quite a sacrifice and I really wrestled with that because like I'd be at the playgrounds I'd be the only guy there but all the moms there I'm like this mm. is kind of weird I'm rolling in with two young kids you know I'm not getting yeah. invited to the playdates you know but like obviously with post COVID where we are now like I feel like a lot of that's changed because like people are more flexible with work they're working from home dads are more involved uh, but that was back in 2018 when. You know, it was still very much like you went to work, you came home, like life was a little more kind of separated. And so uh, that was kind of my journey to um, to kind of being a stay-at-home dad. I've been doing that I, since 2018. I want to circle back because, I mean, yeah, it's an awesome story, John. I mean, this is the guy that's in the library studying until they close. The guy who's looking to go after this VP role and then having to just really face your your ego, your pride, whatever you want to call it. How did you break that piece? Cause you're also, like you said, you're also going up the, up against the, um, the standards of what, what men typically do. And sure it's, it's changed, but I'm sure that, um, you, you still face those walls. Um, uh, so how did you find that piece? I think it was, I think the piece honestly was just, I think being somewhat pragmatic about it. I was like, listen, your wife has, sacrifice a lot for her training. You know, my wife went through, you know, 10 years of medical training, uh, you know, invested obviously a lot of money to become a physician. It was like, first of all, we had a mountain of debt of med schools. Like, listen, like it's just a pure math, like a physician versus an engineer. Like there's obviously higher entering potentials. Like, okay, let's just look at the numbers here. And the numbers obviously just make sense for like her to be the breadwinner. And obviously like for my wife, she's not like, necessarily like miss career driven woman either. Like she has a heart to like want to be with her kids and be a mom and be involved in her life. But like, mm. she didn't know that when she was, you know, 21, 22, choosing to go to med school. She didn't know if she was going to get married. She's like, Hey, I have this skill set, I have this ability and this desire to help people. You know, I'm going to go forward with this. And so like, we were kind of like, it's like, Hey, decisions in life led us to this point. We have to make a decision. Um, if we don't have to do the daycare life, we don't like, and obviously I get a lot of, families have no choice. We were super blessed and fortunate that we had a choice. And so I think the shift for me was being able to have the the freedom to make a choice, I think was able to say, like, hey, we get to make a choice. Like we could be in the position where it's like we have no choice and we're just like in the thick of it, having to grind and make it work and 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 commute and do whatever. And I was like, I think for me it was like, you know what? I I get this opportunity that a lot of dads and fathers probably would never, ever get the opportunity to do that. 
you know, and even for me, like earlier, I was like, I'm gung hoing for this position to be Mr. Corporate man and climb the ladder and blah, 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 and do all these things, which I, I still have aspirations to do. Like who doesn't want to, you know, flourish in their career and grow. Um, but like I had the opportunity to witness my son's first steps to, you know, be there holding him, watching him go on the slide for the first time. Like those are things that's like, you can never, you can't ever get that back if you lose it. If like, you're not there for it. It's like, you missed it. So, um, I think that was the big thing for me is like, understand that we get a choice and this is something that I have a unique opportunity to do. And I think that really did. And I also had to just really look at myself, like, who are you and where's your identity lie? Like it was, I putting my identity in my job in my career or was my identity in who I am in, in Christ as a believer? Um, you know, is my identity in that and not my career? Cause obviously like for most guys, What's the first question you ask someone? Oh, hey, I'm so-and-so. What do you do for a living? What do you do? Oh, I'm I'm an engineer. I'm in yeah. sales. I'm a doctor. I'm a vet. You know, oh, I'm an architect. Uh, I'm a whatever, carpenter. Yeah, you name it. Like, it's like name, career, name, occupation, name, job, like name who I work for. Like, that's where my identity is. It's like your employer doesn't care when you die. Unfortunately, like, I'm sorry. Like it's really your family at the end of the day that's going to be there. They're the ones who are going to fly across the country. They're the ones who are going to be there when you're sick in the hospital. Like granted, like your employer might care for you, but not to the level the family is, right? So I think for me, that was the big pivot. Yeah, similar quick story. So my wife and I, um, when we first got married and she got pregnant (laughs) right away, uh, she was still in college and she was top of her class, summa cum laude, uh, going to be a professor. And when she found out she was pregnant, we also had a similar conversation and it was, you know, Haley, you are going to stay at home because it makes more sense. And she, she accepted that very humbly and graciously. Uh, and, and like you, it, like we were, we were grateful for the opportunity to have that, um, but I, I think it's important to still have that conversation because we, we, like you, uh, didn't didn't want to go the daycare route if we didn't have to. We like wanted to be part of our kid's life as much as possible. Um, so I think that's just really important to keep in mind uh, for for young men and for young women that are together thinking about this. Um, uh, John, if I can pivot a little bit, we also talked a, a bit earlier about um, your father. Um, obviously, he raised nine kids. He did a great job. He worked really hard. Um, it's, it sounds like someone that put family first. Uh, can you tell me about him a little bit more? And and you know, I know that you've had some, you've had uh, his loss recently. Can you talk about how that's impacted you? And I'm actually really curious to know, as a father, like what is what has changed about you since then. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. So my dad passed, this is actually the, the one year anniversary of my dad passing. So my dad passed, um, and this is being recorded in January. Um, so he passed a, a year prior and, um, yeah, just my dad, uh, grew up in California, actually your neck of the woods. And, uh, it was one of three kids. And he, um, when he met my mom, my mom, uh, I think before they got married, when they got married early on the marriage, he told her, he's like, I, I'll take a kid like when they're seven. He's like, when they're seven, like I can take them 
you know, then I can do things with them, right? I can teach them. I can go camping with them, rock climbing. My dad was a rock climber uh, before like the gear and the industry took off. Like this is like back in the seventies, like he was rock climbing with like rope harnesses, like crazy man. Uh, And so he's like, I don't really like babies. He told that to my mom. So, but then when they had their first, their first kid, he fell in love with babies. Then obviously they kept having more babies. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I asked, I remember asking him like, man, dad, like, did you, did you ever, did, like, did you plan to have nine kids? And he was like, no, like we just, we just trust a guy with it. Like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to continue to bless us with children, like we'll continue to take them. And it's interesting because my grandfather uh, is actually a physician, was an adult medicine doctor, uh, he was a little more kind of absent. He was uh, very much an intellectual type person. He would, um, after dinner, uh, grab his New England Journal of Medicine with a glass of wine and go sit down in, the, in his study and read that, listening to classical music, like very much like that. Like if you can picture, like almost like an old man smoking a pipe, you know, reading his <laughs> journal, like that kind of that kind of man, you know. Um, but like not necessarily emotionally involved. He was more like kind of like, I'm here, I'm providing, I'm working, you know, you guys have food to eat. I'm going to go do my thing. Um, and so he was a little more like emotionally um, detached from the family mm-hmm. and not necessarily even a leader emotionally or spiritually. That was kind of more my, my grandmother uh, kind of stepped in, took that role. My dad noticed that. And so he um, made it his, his goal to kind of break that chain and say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be involved I'm going to do what it takes to kind of, um, you know, be self-sacrificial. And so when he met my mom and they had started having kids, like he, um, uh, just like, he is the example of selfless servant leaderhood. Like my dad, um, did whatever it took, like having nine kids and like looking back on it now, like I, I tell my wife all the time, like, how the heck did my parents have nine children? Like, how did they do it? You know, like with three kids, it's like, our grocery bills as X, it feels like it's going to balloon to X to the second and third power, you know, when they become teenagers. Um, I, gosh, dude, Zach, our, our grocery bill, we go to two grocery stores every week and our grocery bill, like would be like four or five feet long. I'm like, oh like thinking God. like, how do, how do we make ends meet? You know, like, and I'm sure like they just, there was some Christmases. My dad would be like, Hey, Guys, don't expect much. Like it's been a little tight, you know. And like for like you'll be like, yeah, whatever. Like we never really noticed it, you know. Like we might not have had as much as other people in the time we grew up in, but we never really noticed it. But like my dad was someone who, um, someone who sacrificed his like his own body. Like he physically, you know, his life was just in rough shape because he had worked. Like he was a full time pastor, full time school teacher, and taught part time at community college to just be able to like put us through college to help put us through college, uh, to, uh, put food on the table, you know, make ends meet. And so he served that way, but also he led very well. I think ultimately like for, if you want to talk about fathers, you have to talk about marriage as well. Like you're like, you want to be a good parent. You have to have a good marriage. Like you have to love and serve your wife. And so he was a great example of a great husband. Like he loved my mom. It was very obvious um, they did a great job of never really fighting in front of us. Um, they would just, they really, like he really um, loved her. Like the book, Love and Respect, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Like he really loved her. Like he was able to to lead her well. And so um, I think he was an example of, of servant leadership. Um, and I'm really thankful for it. 
uh, growing up. But yeah, he passed a year ago, unfortunately. And it was, um, it's really beautiful thing because at his burial, each one of us, nine kids got up and we got to, um, just give a short speech, uh, because he, unfortunately COVID got him. And so we weren't able to really say goodbye. You know, he was intubated on an event. And so, um, you know, we just, we were all able to kind of give a, our goodbye speech. And it was just a very much a similar, um, vein of like, thank you for your service. Thank you for serving our family, for laying your life down, for sacrificing. My dad sacrificed a lot, uh, to, to put his, his nine kids uh, ahead of himself. You know, going back to what you said earlier though, was, was his employer at the funeral and like, or was it the nine kids that just loved him and, you know, spent time to write these speeches and probably grandkids and like, that's true wealth, right? I mean, that yep. must've been kind of, that must've been beautiful to witness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. My dad, you know, he talked about, I could have, like, cause my dad, my, my grandfather wanted my dad to be in medicine. Like he came from a family of physicians and it was like, Hey, so like my dad went into teaching and I don't know if like my grandfather was like disappointed, but like, he was like, but my dad was a really smart guy. He was like, you, you could have done this and made more. But my dad always said like, I'm the wealthiest man alive. Like I have, I think there's how many grandkids are there? 14 or 15 or 16 grandkids on my side of the family. Um, and you know, nine choices. Like he's, I'm the wealthiest man I know, you know? And actually at my dad's funeral, this is really cool. There was a guy who, I don't know if, I think he went to high school with him or college with him. And he had, um, like he was like, I think he was in ministry and he had rubbed elbows with like Ronald Reagan and like very high level people has been like in very high prestigious areas of like in DC and government and he's like, I've rubbed elbows with very prominent, influential people. And he said, your father was one of the wealthiest people that I've known. And I thought that was just a really profound statement to to hear that. It just really blessed me to hear that. Like, it wasn't money, man. It's it's about uh, relationship and family. It comes down to it. I, I got chills hearing that. I mean, I, I honestly, I think guys deep down know that's what they want. That That is the wealth that they seek. Uh, we just get we just get kind of hazy with the culture telling us that that's not the case. But in reality, just having that purpose, being able to have, I, I was at my, my grandfather's funeral back in 2003 and he had what, 25, 30 grandkids I forget, and all of his daughters and son. And I, that I, I wanted that when I saw that. And so I'm, your dad sounds like an amazing man and sounds like, uh, you guys were very blessed to have them as part of your life. Um, John, sh- switching gears a little bit, when when would you say you felt qualified enough to be a dad? Oh, man. <laughs> you don't feel qualified. I remember, I remember driving to the hospital and being like, wait, we're having the baby now? Like, we're actually, I, I'm more of like a take it as it comes person. Like, oh, yeah, my wife's pregnant. We're going to have a baby. Then I remember like driving to the hospital, like, this is real. Like, we're actually going to have a person. And then like, you get the babies born, like, oh, this is great. We're in the hospital. We have nurses, all these people helping us. It's going to be great. That it's like, we have to go home and we don't have any, like, we don't have the support staff. And I, dude, I remember this. I remember, first of all, I remember being so tired, like, 
exhausted. I'm like, no one prepares you for how tired. I remember people joking like, ha get your sleep, boy. Yeah, I'm like, ha My mantra before kids was sleep when you're dead. I was like, go for it, gun, just drink coffee, like go, 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 power through. And then now having kids, my my mantra is sleep when you can. <laughs> I've told I've done a complete one eighty, but I remember being really tired. And I remember they when I I went to go get the car from the hospital parking lot to pull around and um, pick up my wife and our daughter Elizabeth, our our oldest. I remember dry like walking to get the car, and it hit me like it hit me like a ton of bricks. First of all, I was super tired. It's probably a little more on the emotional side because I'm super tired. Like you just like so many things happening in life. Like your baby's born, you're tired, you're like what's happening? You're sleeping on a hotel, on a not hotel, on a hospital couch, which is awful. And I remember I just got hit by this wave of like, holy cow, I'm not I can't do this. I'm not qualified to do this. Like I have a I have a child now. I remember like I remember like breaking down and like crying as I'm walking to get to the car thinking like, I, I can't do this. I can't do, I'm, I'm not going to make it. You know, like just like the, the, the level of responsibility that I felt, the level of exhaustion, the weight of like, like you, like you, like you feel like I have to have all the answers from like birth to 18 years old now. And I need to know what's going to happen and have our plan and have it all figured out and how we're going to provide for this kid and how we're going to pay for their college. Like all those things you're like, ah, like it just like hits you like one giant wave. And I like, I pulled it together. I was able to kind of like have like a self talk in the, in the parking garage, like pull it together, John, come on, just pull it together. But I remember like driving home, just like, whoa. And so like, I definitely did not feel like I was qualified at birth or going home. But like, it's in those days after we're like, okay, we'll just take it one day at a time. Like we can do this. It helps to have a wife who's a pediatrician. I'll be honest. The, is this normal question is answered immediately versus having to call a doctor's office and be like, is this normal? And wake the doctor on call, you know, at two in the morning. It's helpful to have a wife who's that. But um, yeah, we had some sleepless nights after that where it's like, I remember I took a video I don't know if I should tell us. My wife might be mad at me for saying this, but like she was like crying. She was so tired. She was like, just like at her wits end, you know, like when, what is it called? Like when the, the baby is just like out of its mind, like just not sleeping. It wasn't, it wasn't colic. It was, um, I don't know if my wife's milk had come in yet. Um, but it was just like, it was like baby was hungry and baby was unhappy and it was up all night long and we we're like, we're not going to make it like there's no rest for the weary. Um, so I think for me, like the moment where I felt like, okay, we can do this was like in the day to day after it's like, okay, we're going to get sleep. I think like getting sleep for the first time, like a four hour chunk of sleep, like, okay, we can do this. And just taking it one step at a time. And honestly, like I sought out, um, and I, I had older brothers who already had kids. I think that helped out too. Like I, I, I read books on parenting. I sought out a mentor, had people, um, you know, I had a community, had our, our church, our small group. We had people supporting us, uh, which is super helpful. I think the big thing was like, once, once you kind of make it through those first couple of days and you're like, okay, this baby's not going to die on our watch. Uh, we can do this. We just take it one step at a time. And like, you realize like, I don't have to have all the answers for like when mm-hmm. they're seven and 
they're going off to school and it's like, what school do you pick for your kid? Like, I don't have to have those answers right now. It's like, I need to know how to change a diaper and get a bottle ready and hold a baby and swaddle a baby, which is really difficult for the first time. It you sure know, getting is. That, getting that baby burrito right, man. Like that's difficult, you know? So, uh, so like, I think that was like the, the, the light bulb moment. She was like, okay, like this is the season we're in. I can figure this out. And once you figure it out and you're like, okay, we're doing this. Then the baby goes to a different stage. You're like, ah, what do we do now? Like the baby's crawling. We have to move everything. We have to baby proof everything. It's like, ah, then you kind of figure that out. Then they start walking. You're like, oh no, get a baby gate up quick. They're going to fall on the stairs. Uh, then you have to like, so you kind of go through those stages, you know, then you're like, okay, we could figure this out. We could, we could do this. And so uh, I think for me, it was like after the first couple of days realizing, okay, one step at a time baby steps because yeah, like and other dads I've talked to have echoed the same sentiment. You're never going to be ready. If you think like, Oh yeah, I can do this. One, you are prideful and you have no idea what's coming for you. And number two, if you do think like, there's no way, like why even have kids? I could never have children. It's like, you can, you can, you know, you just take it one step at a time and mm. it's going to be okay. You know, and obviously you're there in it with your wife and you're working through it together. You work as a team, um, that's, that's, that's how you get through it. So I don't know if that answers your question, Zach, if that's helpful or not so, to, to the audience totally. here. I, I think so. And you know, something I don't think people talk a lot about is there's plenty of good advice out there. What was the worst piece of advice you ever got as a, an expecting father? Oh man. Uh, I loved getting the joke when telling people when we were pregnant, you know, where babies come from, right? It's like, okay, not helpful. Well, the, it's funny because like when you first get married, after you're married, everyone's always asking, so you guys can have kids? You guys can have kids? And then when you do get pregnant, everyone's like, you know where babies come from, right? The joke that you like, like, you don't, do you know what you're doing? It's like, okay, thanks. That's not helpful. Um, so there's that joke there. Um, I know a lot of people when we were expecting, were say, like they would joke and say, your life is over now. You better, you might as well just sell all your toys. It's so like the, the life is over one. I uh, got that a lot, which I think is part of like the stigmatism of the culture that like, you're talking about. Like you're not going to be able to have fun. You're not going to be able to do like things that you're passionate about or love. Uh, granted, you know, we were in debt and my wife's residency, so we didn't have anything, you know, anyways, really to, to that had to like quote unquote get rid of. But like if that, if guys do have that, it's like, Hey, your priorities do shift. And that's important. Or like, you're going to, you're going to have no more life. Like your life is over. Uh, that's, that's another one I got. Um, another one I got, <laughs> this is pretty funny. Uh, we had a guy in our house painting and he was like, you know, what's great. You know, it was great for taking care of kids. He's like, just give them your phone. He's like, kids love phones. He's like, they'll be happy all day. He's like, they're crying. He's like, I just give them the cell phone. And they're good all day. And my wife oh, and I are no. like, no, no. <laughs> That's a whole topic I can talk about for hours. But yeah, we're, we're similar. Um, as hard as it is, because it is, it's, it's, when there's a screen, you get quiet time. But oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of guys listening will think, wow, John's really got it together. He, you know, you were really successful and then made a very humbling decision and still really like you and your wife have just been raising your kids well, raising them right. And, and that's probably not the, the full picture though. I, you know, we struggle probably quietly a lot. 
what's something that you're willing to share that you're struggling with? So guys know like, yeah, it's, it is tough. It's worth it, but it's tough. And, you know, I think what I I'll, I can go first is, you know, it, right now I'm, I'm really struggling with like mindfulness and I've been doing a great job lately of on weekends. And at, like when I'm at home right before bedtime, I am playing with them without having my mind think about, you know, some feature we're going to release. And that has been so much more helpful. And it's funny because you're there, you don't have a phone in front of you necessarily, but they can, they can see it in your eyes that you're not present. You're not being mindful of the, of the play that you're doing with them. So what is it for you? Like what's, what's, what's the struggle? Oh man, great question. I would say this is one that probably people don't talk about much is anger. I tell people, I never thought of myself as an angry person until having kids. And then I'd be like, children will push you to your limit and like no other situation before in your life. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. They will push and push. You don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to yell at my kids. I'm going to snap at them. It's, mm. it's when you've said it for the 15th time, it's in the car, you're running late, the baby has pooped, you have to change the poopy diaper, you get back in the car and so-and-so hit their brother again and you're like, that's it, you know? And then like you lose it, you know? And I remember when we were about to have our first, this guy walked up to me uh, that I worked with and he just said, shaken baby syndrome is a real thing. He said, it's okay to set the baby down and walk away. And me, like in my naivety, I was like, dude, like, who are you? Like, I would never shake a baby. Are you crazy? And he just said it again. He's like, shaken baby syndrome is a real thing. And I'm so thankful he said it because like, it kind of like shocked me. I'm like, I'm not capable of that. But the reality is we are all capable of that. And I've learned like when you're holding a baby and it's two in the morning and you've had three nights in a row of that and the baby's screaming, there's nothing you can do about it. Like you can, like when you feel like you can't control the situation, at least for me, how I've reacted has been like, I could feel this anger welling up and being able to recognize that and be like, you know what? It's okay to put the baby down and walk away or to hand it off to your spouse and be like your turn, tag your it. I need, I, I recognize, I feel something coming on that I am capable of doing something bad and I need to walk away. And like, I think like for me saying I would never do something like that was very naive. Mm -hmm. I think recognizing I am capable of doing something really bad, I think is actually a humbling place to be. And then knowing, okay, what are the things that will trigger me? What are the things that I need to like, when I feel this, this thing start coming up and obviously like we don't want that, but like it's natural when we can't control things like men's, like when men start losing control, it's an emotional reaction. We kind of react more angry. Women typically react more with sadness or crying. They just cry and hold a baby. Like, I can't get the baby to stop crying. Men are just like, why aren't you not cr stop crying? You know? And so I think for me, I think the thing that I've struggled with um, is, is anger. Not saying it's a, that's the thing I'm proud of, but I think a lot of guys do. Um, and you don't wake up thinking I'm going to snap at my kids day, but it's just like, I don't want my kids to be like emotional weathermen. Like mm -hmm. how's dad doing today? Should we walk on eggshells around him or is he happy today? You know, like 
as men, like we need to be for our kids, like emotional well-being, like we need to be consistent. And that is, I think just putting in practice and putting safeguards and knowing like some healthy boundaries, like of situations that might be tough for you and being being able to kind of check out and say, Hey honey, can you take over for a minute? I, I need to go for a walk. And just like, I've been with the kids for seven hours. Like I need you to just take the torch for just a few minutes, you know, or vice versa, you know? So I think that was, that's been something that uh, I've struggled with and recognize and continue to try and work, work on. You know, it's, it's similar to, you're not ready for fatherhood ever. You just become a father and then now you're, now you're ready, quote unquote. Um, so much like that, you, you realize all of the things that you didn't think you could do that you can do that's positive, but yeah, the, then you get to have that mirror of here's the things that you actually can do, don't do because they're really bad. Um, I, 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 f- I understand that completely, especially the late night anger is, is a tough one. So sometimes it's just like, okay, cry it out for five minutes. I, I need to walk. Um, John, yeah. so thank you so much for letting us uh, really be on this journey with you. Talked so much about your life, about your father and about your kids. And it's just been a real inspiration. Um, before you go, though, I have one final question. This is something I, I really want to ask all the men I speak to um, because it gets to the heart of the Forming Fathers movement, which is it's it's hard for me, especially as a younger guy, not to see this growing trend of men rejecting, postponing, checking out of the idea of fatherhood for all sorts of reasons. And I can't really blame them. There's so many voices on the other side. The culture is saying it's not worth it. You're not going to find meaning. And and no one's saying, I invite you to be a dad. There is purpose. There's meaning. So if you could speak to young men and tell them why they should embrace fatherhood, what's like that one piece of advice you want them to walk away with? Ooh, that's a great question. I don't know if I can do it in one piece of advice. Uh, I'll, get, I'll break up a couple of, couple of ideas that I have. One, cool. from, a, from a spiritual perspective, if you have a faith background, I think if you look at um, what we were created to do and how we were, we were called to imitate the creator, there's a lot in Genesis that talks about Adam. And if you dig into the Hebrew of Adam, there's a lot there talks about that really the root of it is we were called to remember and to move and god has 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 wired us that way and we've been we've been called to to be um you know fruitful multiply and god wants us that's that's part of his plan it's not for everybody but for men there's purpose in that um from more of like a just more of a pragmatic standpoint if you look at your life 30 40 years from now i think that deathbed like scenario is a good scenario to kind of work through. It's like when I'm on my deathbed, like who do I want surrounding me? Who is going to be surrounded by me or surrounding me? Excuse me. Who's going to be surrounding me? Is it going to be my coworkers? Is it going to be my boss? Most likely not, not to downplay work by any means. Work is important. There's dignity in work. Um, like I think like your dad mentioned on the, in your last podcast episode, like being a father makes you a better employee. You're able to empathize with people better, serve better, um, you know, work better in teams, understand like humility. Uh, there's a lot there, uh, with that. I think fathers are fantastic employees. Doesn't mean being like, I think your dad made a great point. Like just because you're a father and you have a family does not mean you're by any means 
not a more produ- as productive or team player committed employee. I think there's that's a great lesson, and we shouldn't lose that. Uh, but but the deathbed scenario, I think, is something to think through. Like, who do you want to be, and what do you want your legacy to be? And uh, I think that, and then kind of work backwards from there. Like, okay, well, what does that look like? 10 years from now, five years from now, two years from now, one year from now, like I'm not the kind of man that someone wants to marry. Like if I'm not in that spot, then I'm never going to have a family. And then you do get married. Like am I the kind of man that can be ready to step into this responsibility? You're never going to feel ready, but like you got to kind of have some, some items in your house in order. And so I think walking through that scenario, I think would be, uh, would be super helpful. And number two, number three, would be get older men in your life who have walked the path ahead of you, who can demystify a lot of the fears that you have. Because I think a lot of us have fears. And deep down, us men, we have the am I good enough uh, question in the back of our heads all the time. And like we want our fathers to affirm that for us. Like you're good enough, son. You did a good job. I'm proud of you. Like we all have that deep-rooted desire in our hearts to hear our father say that to us. And if you have, if your father's around and he's a great father, like, and he could speak to you, that's fantastic. If you don't have that or you're not, you know, close with your father, like get a mentor, someone in your life who can walk with you and help demystify Like, Hey man, I'm afraid. Like, Hey dude, we had, we had that same problem. Or like, if you have problems with, with fertility, you know, like that's a, you know, there's lots of dads out there who want to have kids and have struggled with that, you know, and that had an impact on their lives. Like I thought I'd be a dad when I was 25 and it, and it didn't happen until I was 30. And like, there's stuff that looks like, I think having a mentor and someone to, to walk with you. And we're afraid to ask for help. We're afraid to get community around us. And I had a great friend who just set such a great example for me. Like anywhere he went, he was seeking out an older guy to be like, Hey, can you get coffee with me once a month? And just like talk. Like, let's just talk through life. So I think that's a huge thing. So those three pieces I think would be, I know you asked for one, but those would be the kind of my three, my three pieces for you. I love it. I, I think having a mentor, I, I have a couple of guys. Um, I have um, someone I, I see every month actually for, for spiritual direction. I have a guy that I talk to about the struggles I go through. Um, and then I just have someone I check in daily with and talk to. Uh, I, I think that's so important. Um, so guys, there you have it. Um, I think I've completed the most thorough background check on John out there for the recruiters. Uh, so hit him up, uh, John, I hope you don't mind. Um, but I think guys can check you or they can check you out at, uh, John because mm-hmm. you're, you're looking, right. Uh, I'm, I'm actively on the job hunt right now. Yeah. So my wife and I were doing a complete swap right now. She's looking to step away from medicine for a time being, and I'm looking to uh, step back in. So yeah, it's John slash hire dash me is the uh the landing page for where you can find out more about me awesome man well we hope that this episode has provided you with some valuable insights inspiration for your journey if you've enjoyed this please leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on share it with someone share it with a young man who you think could benefit from this check out our website at formingfathers.com and thanks for tuning in see you next time Thank you for listening to the Forming Fathers podcast. Join our movement and community at formingfathers.com.